And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. We have a nice little one-shot episode. It's been a long time in the making. I got two gentlemen with me here that make a product that uh, I just got a final chance to check out about a month ago. And uh, it's got me shaking my boots, folks. I mean, you know that I produced the uh, the Dare Luck Club adolescent adventure game. And I, you know, hey, there's kids on bikes. There's Tales from the Loop. And I haven't been much concerned about them because they they just don't got that little, you know, that that je ne sais quoi that uh, really hits home with this genre. But these two gentlemen, they got a game that does. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Ted Gilbert and Ben uh, Mazzacchetti, uh, the producers of Don't Tell Mom and Dad. How's it going, gentlemen? Hey. Going good. Thank you so good. much, Miss Lou. Oh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, I, uh, I was telling Ben before the program started that I saw your guys's product come up on Kickstarter, and um, I was like, "Yeah, who are these guys? What's this about?" You know, you have that nice cover art and everything, but uh, it's so hard to get this genre right. And I was, man, you know, maybe I don't have to worry about it. But man, you guys really hit it out of the ballpark. Congratulations, man. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you, <laughs> someone else that. I feel like really did nail it as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, and I'm just excited to have somebody on the program that has a, a love, passion, and respect for this genre because it's uh, it's so overlooked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, more than you would think because especially at this era, you know, where we're at, it's it's just so in the zeitgeist with everything yeah. from Stranger. Th I mean, I'm sure you dealt with this as well because you look you're about the same age as us and someone will be like, oh, is it like Stranger Things? And it's like, well, no, like we're the same. Like, Would you buy it if it was? Yeah, yeah, it's like exactly. that. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's yeah. it's like, you know, we're influences, influenced by the same things that I think mm -hmm. Stranger Things was influenced by. And that's really the, the sort of difference, I think, at what, like, there are these really seminal, um, like, kids' adventure stories from the, 80s through the 90s i think that yeah. um that were really defined that maybe don't get taken like as really serious parts of pop culture as much as they should but we're really defining um parts of a lot of our kind of just you know the culture that we grew up with so for sure yeah and i don't know if you guys discovered this but as i got into kind of picking at things and researching I was overwhelmed with just how many examples of this kind of genre are out there that I'd never even thought about it. Oh yeah, that fits. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, we uh, just released, sorry, Ted, we just uh, really put together and released a like letterbox movie. Um, like the don't tell mom and dad movie universe on <laughs> after doing some months and months of work. I mean, it's up to 105 movies right now. Oh, geez. So, like that alone was like, man, once we got to 100, I hit up Ted and I was like, maybe we release this to people like this was just like a fun thing we put together. But like now we're at the point where like, yeah, let's just put this out there. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple pages to kill and I thought, you know, I want to do a appendix N sort of thing. So I included some in mine. But even since then, I could have probably tripled that page count with right. stuff I've seen since then. Yeah. You know. Yeah, keeps growing, man. I love I love to find them. I mean, you know, it's part of our passion, and it's another 
another one. Like there is this one I put on the list. I haven't even watched it. It's called Let Me In. Looks like it's a, a great, great kids adventure movie. I have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm getting the cart before the horse here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys want to introduce yourselves and maybe talk about uh, what brought you into role playing. And then eventually we'll get to, you know, the, the weird uh, hobbies uh, formation and all that. Okay, sure. Go ahead, Ted. Uh, why don't you, I feel like your experience with like role playing is a little more traditional and then I'm a good segue into the next part. So why don't you yeah. start us off and then. Yeah, I mean, I, I am the the standard classic i mean i'm 37 on going on 38 in a couple months and uh i've been playing since middle school um had awesome very very lucky to meet the the nerdy kids in in the cul-de-sac down from the other end <laughs> of the hood and they had an older sister stacy goddard i love you you're the best she was the coolest dungeon master there is she would be getting costume and everything and uh, i mean they hooked me on ad and then like it wasn't even called D&D to us like I was introduced to it as a D&D &D. <laughs> and uh yeah and like she let us really make whatever characters we wanted she was so good and talented and really set me on my path in middle school and I started like really really had a love and passion for it and was making all sorts of little games that were like that like from that point anytime we had an assignment in class and whatnot like I think the first little thing I made was a uh, Greek and Roman gods game where like we had to do something <laughs> explain multiple ones and i made this this like really like low grade like D, D meets board game like for you know pick what god you are and i mean had been going pretty steadily from like around sixth or seventh grade into like 11th ish grade when all of a sudden i thought i was too cool and like wanted <laughs> a girlfriend and like started to, if, if that is not the story of almost every gamer right 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 you know there may not have been some cannabis that had been introduced in my life and things like that and like stopped doing it for like most of the late teens through the 20s and then when i got into the second half of my 20s again i was like talking about it a lot i was in a band on tour and like touring all the time and uh would always be talking about it and being like one day i want to get back to it and, like would literally still be getting teased then and then like <laughs> A whole bunch of people came out like publicly that were like celebrities or people that I really liked and looked up to that said that they loved it. And I was like, you know, I knew that was cool. <laughs> I really had the great, the great like uh, thing happened where I, I like hit up, like I had moved back closer to my hometown and hit up my buddies that I used to play with back then and was like, hey man, we got to get a game going again. Like, I really want to do this. And they just like laughed at me and were like, we, we never stopped dude like you, you <laughs> if you want you can join our campaign we have a campaign we meet on wednesdays and uh that got me back back in hard and that's like you know and and again i feel like i've always had the association with while i'm playing like wanting to create and develop a game like because there's just certain things you know when you're playing it's like oh man i really wish i could do blank or i want to do this mm -hmm. or oh it'd be cool if there was a game that was like that you know and started like actually just developing these games like putting them together and the first game i mean I'll, even though it hasn't been to market may never we don't know but uh i started designing a game at the time i called a punkalypse which was like an 80s punk like post-apocalyptic mad max one of my favorite genres like of all time like one of my first loves and started designing this got enough of the bare bones together to like get it up on its feet and like start kind of doing early play tests with friends. And that's where Ted comes in um, because he was one of the early yeah. game masters. 
Um, I yeah. mean, I can let you take it from there if you want, Ted. Yeah, no, I think that's a good. So, yeah, I mean, I was one of those, uh, you know, people who didn't get into the hobby until they were an adult. I sort of um, was a like a sci-fi nerd, you know, growing up and a comic book kid and was always, you know, I think when I was growing up, like in the 90s, I think two things. I I didn't know anybody who played role-playing games. And the ones that were sort of popular were like the versions of D&D that were kind of popular at the time were very like, like Tolkien inspired, you know, which I think fifth edition still is too, which just isn't my, like I'm more of a sci-fi, you know, and horror kid. And the fantasy that I like is like, you know, old school or like weird kind of fantasy. Uh, you're like Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard, yeah. exactly. Um, but it's something that sort of always stuck with me. I think as I got older, I got more and more interested as I sort of discovered that there were more types of games out there. Uh, eventually, Ben came to me and was like, I'm looking for people to play test uh, this game I created or I'm that I'm working on. And I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> and so we played it like for a while. I was just um, like playing that kind of weekly with him and a group of other people. And we were, you know, we were sort of his play test group. Um, and then, you know, we started talking about um, he was sort of ready to take the like development of that project to the next level. And I had um, sort of a little more experience with, like indie publishing through my other project that I do, which is a, a cult film magazine called Lunch Meat that I've been working on for years. Um, and I had sort of a little bit of uh, graphic design and layout skill we could bring to the table. And we sort of started working and developing that. Um, and uh, so I guess concurrent to that, like as he got me into playing, I he sort of introduced me to more of the world of indie games. And I kind of, you know, went wild for there. I've always been a huge zine fan and, and genre fiction fan. And it just hits that sort of sweet spot. I mean, everything about um, the hobby is just so right up my alley and um, has just been a blast since it came into my life. And, um, and then from there, we sort of started working together more seriously on what was then Apocalypse. Um, and I think this sort of like, um, leads into a little more of our present day but uh um the way that that sort of the way that that kind of transitioned into eventually don't tell mom and dad was we i mean that we have that project apocalypse just kind of became really huge and sprawling and i think got away from <laughs> us a little bit and then we had yeah. this sort of new concept for a much more um sort of self-contained kind of manageable like first um yeah. first game to release together kind of project and that's how that partnership you know proper kind of began and, and where we sort of start yeah. becoming don't tell mom and dad was that a no-brainer for both of you guys or did one of you guys have to convince the other or? no no it was definitely a no-brainer i think after yeah. i mean i guess i i technically came with the initial like concept of it but like right away ted is like this is so like let's do this i mean as we were staring down the barrel of uh the apocalypse game that we were developing like ted said like before we knew it we had like three separate books that we were going to be <laughs> and then we had a giant 
that we used wrapping paper and we had this huge map of this like post-apocalyptic world. And we're talking about cults and like marauder vehicles and sawed off shotguns and like how this happened. <laughs> and it started like, we both were kind of like, man, this is going to be a like five year process. And like, you know, Ted had, you know, has been releasing stuff. You know, I love, I, I know Ted from that magazine lunch me. Um, love that magazine and like we're both vhs collectors and like you know how to became fast friends through that and he has been releasing things on a more steady clip and i wanted to get something out there like mm. it was kind of like this is going to take too long like let's like really think of a way to scale this back and come up with a concept that's much smaller much tinier much uh prepubescent if you will <laughs> and then, ding 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 like hit yeah like kind of just had the bare bones like because we had been developing <laughs> like I said a bunklips and it was like kind of just like came to me together in a night and like was like hey Ted like let me like basically had like the bare bones concept of like what if it's kids like you know we're playing kids in a small town and had the name because that was just the number one thing that me and my sister my older sister uh would say to each other like all the time <laughs> no matter like what deep shit we were in like even if we were it's, i hate you like at each other, like if something happened and it was like wait don't tell mom and dad don't tell mom and dad. <laughs> we were immediately on the same team like the moment that some you know some real serious shit went down so that's yeah. like took that to ted and ted just you know he's such an amazing collaborator and just right away was like hell yeah let's do it like we can do this we can do that like oh great idea and then even that you know when you design starts to bloom. And I think we just were much more conscious about it this time. And we're like, anytime things started to like balloon out into yeah. more and more, we kind of like wanted to deflate that balloon and keep it kind of small. You know, there's probably only 40 or 50 pages of real text in our book. That's, mm -hmm. that, you know, actual gameplay and mechanics and stuff like that. There's a lot of really fun, like, you know, visual uh, stimulation in our book, but we, anytime we were kind of faced with something, we went with like the easier, simpler, faster, you know, route. And it definitely even did blow up a little bit from like probably our earliest, earliest, you know, conceptions, but we just were much better at kind of containing everything. And the things that we did let kind of blow up a little bit, I think were well worth it. Like our, like the toy catalog that takes up 12 <laughs> pages in the back yeah. of the book is a lot is, you know, something we're really proud of. Yeah, that was definitely yeah, something that was kind of there in the early phase. And just like, thank God to the artist, Stacey Fevinger. She's so talented. Um, like it was kind of a hard line. Like even for me specifically was like, it's got to have a wish book in the back. I grew up like being a <laughs> with them as a kid, like taking a Sharpie marker to one of those things. And just being like, I'll get this and get that. And then, you know, not really getting that stuff, but you you, you imagine all the toys you get. Yeah, it helped, uh, yeah. helped October, November pass. Right, know? exactly. Yeah. Man, I, I got to say, uh, uh, as far as the layout and art, I mean, it, it, this thing's like kind of like flipping through a mad magazine. It's got the, what do they call those things? The Ben K dots or whatever the, yeah. whatever the uh, <laughs> it, I don't know, just it's, it's so cool uh thank you ted it, 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 so i was gonna say ted, ted you're, you're the main man out. behind that huh ted well, was, would really help do that i mean i can take credit for the for a lot of the like layout design and stuff which i i um i you know feel that's 
I, I really appreciate those compliments because we worked, I think we worked really hard on, you know, getting it to have that sort of feel that we wanted it to have. And I mean, Ben was really instrumental too in, you know, bouncing sort of every idea we had. And we, that layout, you know, and design went through some, you know, some growth and some phases throughout the process. But we also just really lucked out having access to some really uh, incredibly talented artists who were all, you know, local to the Philly area and mostly, you know, uh, personal friends or connections um, awesome. who yeah. we were able to like, you know, really take advantage of um, the different talents and um, sort of specialties of our, of everybody. Like we had um, Hayden, who was, who was the cover artist, who was just fantastic. And that cover art really, I think set the tone for the book and the whole sort of, you know, mm -hmm. our Kickstarter campaign and everything. We had um, an artist, Audrey, who was great at doing like kids, um, oh. you know, and, and Hayden also and that's kind tough. of a preacher guy. I, I, that's and, something a lot of people don't think about, but uh, you know, I, when I was doing my book and granted it's, it's decent on art. I, I don't think it's at oh, your guys' level on art, but uh, finding an artist that's good and can do kids is really tough, especially in the RPG market space. Everybody yeah. wants to do the square chinned uh, heroes right. and all that. Yeah. No, um, you know, we were talking Hayden Hall, another Philly artist and good friend of ours and, and really talented guy. He did the cover um, and he did some interior stuff, but he was the first person we had talked to, him and Stacy, because um, she's just such a great, like, bold black line artist that, like, well, no, we knew we wanted her to try to do the character sheet for us. And she's a local tattoo eat. artist who did the uh, most of the illustrate the toy catalog and and some other interior yeah. stuff. And uh, we we knew like yeah we'd love to get a, a cover by Hayden who does a lot of heavy metal like really prominent heavy metal bands and uh, just has that really cool heavy metal aesthetic, um, but is just so talented and wanted him to do some stuff interior and he gave us some great stuff but he did I'm not exposing him too much by saying, because he's so talented to do so much, he did basically say that to us, where he was like, at a certain point, he was like, yo, like, kids, kids are kind of hard. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of having trouble, like, drawing kids with this. Like, he's the he's the dude, if you're looking for a yeah. barbarian to split the head open of a skeleton, <laughs> like, I can't think of a better artist to do that. And he's he our monster guy, for sure. Yeah, you know, he that's... gave us really good monster stuff and really great stuff. Um, but yeah, and I mean, thank goodness for Audrey in that situation. Audrey Garrett, like, man, she just gets it. Like, she right away was like, all the all the real crazy kid stuff in there is like her stuff that just comes out of her brain. Like, she <laughs> is straight up a babysitter's club girl, like, through and through, like, loves the genre, loves the work. And yeah, but you're right, not everyone can do it. <laughs> so, weird hobbies, that's your guys's company together or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. That's us. I mean, listen, we're two scrappy dudes who this is our first game and like, we have a lot of writing experience, but you know, this is the first thing we came out and it kind of became like, Hey, we're going to self publish this. And like, we should come up with a name. Obviously we plan on releasing more and more stuff and uh, like, let's come up with something. And I mean, it was probably over some sort of uh stoner sesh where we came up with the name you know weird hobbies <laughs> and then uh just like kind of ran with it loved it you know and we're 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 committed 
Yeah, and so far, we, I mean, we've released Don't Tell Mom and Dad and uh, a couple of supplement uh, like pamphlets for Don't Tell Mom and Dad too. That are one is a like uh, a uh, expansion on the fireworks mechanics that are in the book. Um, and I'm sure we can we'll probably get into this later if we nah, do more of the game. But the uh, you know what the way we sort of look at it is we don't have you know kids aren't using semi-automatic weapons they don't have crazy magic spells or even like you know chainsaws or axes like fireworks are about the most dangerous thing they've kind of easily got access to so that's kind of the big uh, the high level like weaponry um and we have uh, special mechanics for using fireworks inside the game don't talk about that and then uh one of the supplements we released uh, recently expands on those mechanics, adds a bunch more fireworks that kids can use, and kind of has some NPCs and things like what that. What I love about it is it's it's like a flyer for like a fireworks store. Right? Exactly. It, yeah. it reminds me of the uh, what is that movie? Uh, Joe Dirt, where the guy's going through like we got the yeah. whippernoes <laughs> and the whippernoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those we ended up when we were like because we came up in the book, we had like I don't know about somewhere between like six and ten different fireworks and we had a lot of response with the fireworks and the mechanics and people really liking it and we wanted to expand it and upon doing research it just started to happen because when you're looking up old fireworks and vintage things like that's what comes up those old advertisements yeah. so like it, it kind of started to write itself that way um but uh, yeah it's to say that we've we've released a few things related to don't tell mom right now i think you know we're not necessarily in a position to start talking about uh future projects i can say that we have tons and tons of ideas for tons and tons of things we want to do in the in the future related to don't tell mom and dad and beyond um and i you know i think the odds that we get to at least a, a good chunk of it are are pretty good but uh <laughs> yeah but yeah that's sort of you know i think weird hobbies is um yeah it's it's our sort of joint role-playing game collaboration and it's you know uh, hopefully in its early stages with with lots more you know yeah, good uh, stuff to come hopefully um right now i know people can get everything in pdf off of drive through what about physical products uh so we have a web store that we uh that's through big cartel um and the link is uh, attached to i mean you can get there directly from our website which is don't dad.com which is probably the easiest way to remember and um but there's also a link tree attached to any of our social media uh, on Instagram and Twitter and, and stuff. Um, but that's the play. That's the best place to get the physical stuff directly from us. Right now we've got the game, the pamphlets and the uh, collaborative zine we put together with sewer rats Inc, which is a uh, sort of collaboration with us and uh, Joey Royale of who does uh, get haunted industries and weird, um, weird heroes of public access and Brian Shutter who does the Unlords and toxic wasteland. And we sort of put together a zine, uh, all three of us together where we had some joint content that like is sort of system agnostic and can be used for any kind of alternative role-playing game setting. And we have some stuff that's compatible specifically with don't tell mom and dad there. Um, and then you can also find our stuff at a, like on exalted funeral and a couple other, um, of the yeah, major, yeah. yeah, excellent. I'll try to get some of those in the show notes, folks. So be looking there. Um, awesome. The genre kind of can go a lot of different directions, right? I mean, there's that that big contingency between Scooby Doo, Little Rascals, zaniness, 
all the way to like the first chapter of it with like serious gritty you know um how did you guys go about tackling that well i think we really i mean this is i love this question because it's it was one of the more fun puddles to play in when we were creating this game and it's like how do we want to swing that and i mean in our book we used a pretty simple rating system also to like help people who you know weren't necessarily comfortable with certain things Mm -hmm. But where I think the real magic happens with this genre is like it really widens that aperture to allow for something to be very, very cutesy and fun and goofy and then also make the really dangerous parts and scary parts be that much more scary. Because like, again, to use the barbarian and a skeleton analogy, like, you know, the barbarian either crushes the skeleton or doesn't. But like when you're playing with a cute little kitten and everyone is having fun and all your players are are like laughing and having fun. And then all of a sudden that kitten turns into (laughs) a giant, you know, mucus filled slug monster that like rips the head off of the gym teacher. Then it's like that much more scary. And you get that full (laughs) wide spectrum from things, you know, and you're rated R ends of things like the gate or something. And then. Uh you know, from your, your goofier end, Wolfman has nards, like, you know, <laughs> getting to be able to have both of that is where this genre is really fun. In my opinion, I think you probably agree. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I like is um, when I was designing mine, I went very generic with the rules where you can kind of, you can do stuff with fireworks. You can, you know, deal with getting on a sugar high and stuff like that, but it's all just kind of a, kind of simple same mechanic through and through yeah but uh you guys were able to actually pick out some of those um what would you call them uh oh uh brain freeze here like the characteristics of the genre and you were able to take those and be like let's pin something down around this so it becomes like part of the fabric of the game uh you guys want to go through some of the the subsystems in the game yeah sure so I, to, um, one thing that we talked about, sort of, we hit on, I, I don't even know if I was going to say early in the design process, but kind of like maybe midway that really solidified some stuff for us was the concept of, uh, of kid logic. And this is this idea, it, it's sort of the, it's the, it's sort of a way of rewarding like creativity over realism, like sort of letting um, kids hop a fence on a pogo stick or like use a, um, like jump everybody rope breathe out will hook, be lighter, you know. You know like- <laughs> yeah, right, right. That kind of stuff. And if it's a you know fun, appropriate idea, like it should be you know allowed to go, provided you know everybody makes the rolls and and it all works out. And I think the way we divide we uh, the mechanics that we kind of built into the system all kind of work to encourage that kind of logic and that kind of thinking. So like the sugar level mechanic, which is one that reward, gives you bonuses for um, like consuming lots of sugar. And then um, your sugar high can wear off and then you're dealing with the penalties <laughs> of the kid who's cracked out on sugar. It's, it's almost like a, uh, as had described to us after the fact, which is great, is like almost like an amphetamine or like <laughs> cocaine, like, like panic, but for kids, it's like, get all jacked up on sugar before you go and raid the haunted house and then uh 
you know, as long as you're keeping those sugar levels up and you keep ingesting it, you're still in a sugar high. But <laughs> Jones in for some pixie sticks. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you just like always thought that that concept was funny and like uh-huh. it would be great if you could just mechanically tie that to that feeling where it's like, oh man, we're all going to have Slurpees and then I'm going to be able to make that jump. Like, you know, <laughs> so that's one of definitely the first uh, mechanics that, yeah. We put together another one is uh the scared meter which came pretty fast as well because uh you know i know we were looking over not to jump to one of your later questions that we you had sent us but like it kind of answers that where you know we're dealing in this genre both of us where it's like well we're not trying to kill kids like mm-hmm. no one can die in this game like we don't want like base level is not like your friend jeff gets his head blown off like <laughs> we, no one wants to see that or do that um, but you need to be able to find a way to raise the stakes and have the stakes feel real and that there's something involved. So one of the first things we wanted to put together was this like a meter that would tick up as the stress continues to happen to you and having it be environmental based. Um, so like when you're in a scene or at a place, at a haunted house, at some crazy cult, at the mad scientist's house who's making a Frankenstein or something, um while you're in that environment you have to keep making bravery checks that are making sure that everything is you know that you're keeping your cool and as Uh you go it gets a tick and a tick and you start to deal with actual mechanical penalties the more and more scared you get but that then just like when you were kids and you were in a scary situation and you hopped on your bikes and got out of there that scared meter drops back to zero. Like the adrenaline drops and it's not something you're dealing with all day. It's just when you're in that situation, mm-hmm. then it, so it kind of raises the stakes in the moment. So that's another mechanic that I think that we kind of specifically wanted to make, you know, be a real uh, uh, a cornerstone, if you will, of what we wanted our gameplay to be, because it's about getting in over your head, right? You're tiny mm-hmm. kids and it's like, what, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when you open that door. You're not just going to, you know, beat it with an axe or something. <laughs> You're going to have to be creative and figure ways out, you know, to do this. So, I like yeah. that. that. That was one of my design premises that, look, you know, every adventure, every situation, the kids are the underdogs. And the only way they get the advantage is through clever thinking or finding some cool little equipment or building some trap or whatever. Uh yeah, it's one of the great things of the, as you call it, and I love the adolescent adventure genre. Um, you, you you can't you can't brute your way through a lot of stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Like when your typical person walks into a, a mercantile or or a bar in, in a fantasy game, and they walk up to the counter, they're putting their elbow on the counter, and they're at eye level with the, <laughs> the you know what I mean, with uh... the, you know the barmaid or the clerk or whoever, and like we try to really lay it in thick environmentally that like, no, like that counter comes up to basically, you know, (laughs) level with the clerk and you need to be looking, you know, constantly looking up to adults and things of that nature. So it's one of the things that makes it fun. You, you can really, once you find that your players are getting into um, that mindset that they're like, no, 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 we're, we're, we're smaller we're smaller kids trying to really figure this out. We're kids in an adult world. Um, it, it just really leads to some fun gameplay, I find. One of the things I thought was just brilliant in your uh, game design was that out of the gate, 
instead of talking right into the, you know, this is what a character is and how you make a character, you're first kind of put into the scenario of, okay, as a gaming group, let's build the town. Let's talk about the hot spots and the, you know, yeah. uh, landmarks yeah. and things like that. And I think that, you know, kind of going from what you were just saying, I mean, building that world and understanding the world through the point of view of an adolescent really just then all of a sudden you're firing up all these ideas of the kinds of kids you could be within that town. Yeah. I mean, the town, that's an, I thank you for reminding us. We have, always have so much <laughs> that we're both <laughs> thinking of, but yeah, the town was another like early thing where we knew we were treading on, on dangerous ground by being like, well, hang on a second. We're essentially making a board game without a board with these, with these town pieces. And we're making an RPG with borders which feels like two like mm -hmm. no-nos in both genres, but like it really ended up working out because the the making the town first is really kind of a way for your your guidance counselor, as we call our, our game master, <laughs> to like get everyone in the same mind frame before they even realize they're getting there. Like once everyone is making a town together before you know it everyone is already bonding and learning that town because they're going, oh no, put the pizza shop next to the arcade. And then we want the school on the opposite end of that. We don't want the school, <laughs> you know, and like, oh, this neighborhood's going to go here and that neighborhood's going to go there. And then they have this town and you have them name the town together. And now they feel like they're ready. The next logical step is to make a kid to inhabit that town mm -hmm. that they've already started with giant baseline and then from there you design your child and uh that was something that i think we like did a little bit of back and forth before we settled on whether or not the town creation came before character creation and we right. had it a few different ways but i'm i mean we definitely felt confident when we settled on town creation first after enough play testing because it's like now you're looking at you're not just thinking well what kind of like weapon is my kid going to have to be monsters with you're thinking like <laughs> i bet my kid's going to want to hang out at the arcade and they're going to be into climbing trees in the like by the by the park you know and they're going to like already sort of thinking about how they're going to like live and interact with this town which i think just gives you this sort of head start on the role playing aspect Ooh, of yeah. it and the storytelling aspect of it that you kind of um you know, takes a little bit longer to really develop in, in a lot of traditional role-playing games. So I had an almost similar idea. I did not develop it to the level you guys did, but uh, in the Derelict Club, we had a thing called Club Dues, where you as the player have to kind of give some backdrop for the, we call it the uh, Grand Pooba, to, to work with. And that was one of the things in playtesting I noticed is if, if we did a playtest where everybody just jumped right in with uh, characters it was fun everybody had a good time but it was a whole different mindset if you started having to kind of contribute to this world that your kid was going to inhabit um so yeah. kudos to you guys that's awesome oh thank you thank you very much yeah it helps people work together too because you know a lot of these games it's kind of ambiguous um you know what level of friendship these characters have i mean apocalypse when we were developing that was kind of like the polar opposite it was like you had a group of people but like at any moment people kind of felt like because you're in an apocalypse and you need to be yeah. eating and drinking and it was like how do i know how to trust the person next to me and it was a game about 
building trust a bit with your group as you mm-hmm. went through adventures together. But this, we kind of wanted the whole, like, everyone puts their hands in the center and is like, we're going to save this town, just like their luck club, like, from square one. We yeah. wanted everyone to, like, establish that you are friends working together. And even if you're, like, the broody goth kid, like, when push came to shove, like, you were there for your friends and you had a bond that, you know, rose above all adults, you know, in your town. <laughs> Trying to look here. We've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about, but I, I know there's some things I've missed. Uh, oh, one, one more thing I wanted to discuss uh, before we moved on, because we don't get the opportunity to talk with a lot of people who make, you know, adolescent. <laughs> um, but I, I'd also like to ask you with when your gameplay and whatnot, because what we found was like another really fun and uh, natural thing that clicked into place is the, the role of authority in these games because you're a kid you're naturally at the bottom of the totem pole like when you are walking into a 7-eleven food mart or a pizza shop or you know a convenience store you know anywhere school doesn't matter where you're at the there's this inherent base of like authority figures that are over top of you know have uh you know they what's what's the term I'm, I'm looking for they basically have authority over you <laughs> basically in, in most situations so that's something that we found became really fun through playtesting and what we wanted to expand on and creating the authority figure concepts um through the game i don't know is that something that you were finding a lot the, the thing i found with that is that um when designing adventures I had to be pretty careful to make sure that there was a reason why going to the authorities was a, a non-option uh, because I found especially for people that maybe weren't as steeped in this genre, that was something that they're willing to do. It's like, Oh, you know, Oh, we've got, you know, whatever, a, a serial killer on the loose. That's police business. Let's go talk to the police. And um, you know, some of that has to do with the, the nature of what you give them, obviously with more, uh, fantastic stuff like alien invasions and things like that. That's less likely, but yeah. um, just establishing a reason why you can't do that, or you wouldn't want to do that in yeah. uh, giving the, the game masters some, some, uh, you know, I, I guess like advice on how to handle that if it happens. Oh um, yeah. I mean, that was so important to us that we titled the, you know, that was the <laughs> title. Like you don't trust <laughs> The adults do not listen to you. They like are thinking that you're lying and being imaginative and making things up. Yeah, that's definitely a, a huge part. But I was even more talking to the sense that like even a snot-nosed 19-year-old dude who works at the comic shop has an inherent authority over every character in the every player mm-hmm. character in your game because they're a store clerk and you're a kid. And it's not just like, oh. We need to impress this nice man who walked in here and made by <laughs> when you're walking into the comic shop, they're like, what are these little brats doing in here? Try to steal comics or they're going to do what? So it's almost like turning most of these people into some form of authority figure or another. Um, yeah. Police aside, which, yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't, but all the, I, I love all the sort of the, the hijinks that can develop around all the sort of minor authority figures the rent cops and security guards <laughs> and and store clerk clerks and a lot of 
just sort of fun little elements of um, of adventures happen in those spaces where kids have to find creative ways to evade, you know, evade these authority figures. Or usually even more fun is having to talk their way out of things yeah. with authority figures. And I think that that's also sort of, in a certain way, some of the bonus, the benefit of having a, a type of game where character death isn't really the biggest consequence is it sets up these other potential consequences like having the mall security tell your parents and and potentially you know losing your video rentals for that friday night like if you're a 11 year old kid that might you know might seem worse in itself. so yeah yeah, yeah. And i think it, being able to push like push those scenarios and let the kind of natural um like consequences and stakes that that uh, derive from those happen has been some of the, the most fun. And I think the the biggest surprise, it shouldn't be a surprise for say, but the thing that keeps coming up that like once we started playtesting that we didn't necessarily expect was just how much people love playing kids, just getting yes. to play kids and not have to necessarily follow like adult, you know, rationality or train <laughs> of thoughts and getting to, um, you know, and it, it as, a, as when you're GMing these games or you know, the guidance counselor is, is what we call it. Um, there's like it, it, it's a lot of fun, too, because you're constantly surprised by the reactions. You set up this authority figure or this scary character and are sort of expecting kids to react one way. But because they're sort of uh, these strange bratty kids who have a weird sense of entitlement or like invulnerability or whatever, like they don't necessarily act the way you said, or because they're even more scared and they're running away from, you know, somebody who you <laughs> maybe think is just a like, you know, kindly neighbor, like, you know. Um, so, and it, it, that's just, I think where a lot of the magic happens, kind of uh, everything else aside, which I- That is one thing I notice is that, I, I don't know if this kind of game draws in this kind of player or if it's nature turns people into this kind of player, but, uh, the, the, the role playing is ramped up like a thousand percent in this kind of game. I mean, yeah. rules are cool and all that. People roll dice, uh, you know, have fun, but they get into the characters so much. Uh, every convention I've been at, every time I run it, ah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say, another big surprise for us, and it's it becomes the most fun when we play, is actually just the interactions between the player characters as kids. And us, the guidance counselors, as their parents, like <laughs> yeah. the, not something that we even thought like at first was going to be like something that we needed much lip service to or anything. But like once we started playing, we were like realizing that everyone is just erupting with laughter at the table and like having fun because it's the, whatever relationship they have with their parents, whether <laughs> they're the type that's like, Bob, get out of my room or, like, you know, a daddy's girl or, you know a mama's boy, someone who's like, oh, I like to use my parents to try to squeeze a dollar or two out of them like before I leave the house every day <laughs> or I'm always sneaking out my window and when I get caught, like I turn up the charm and I try to like, you know, lie or charm my way out of the situation. Um, but just like those moments because we kind of built into our game this, this curfew mechanic and it was like dinner time, we had these multiple clocks that's like there's a dinner time that can potentially be optional. There is a curfew in which your parents want you home at that time. 
And then there's an actual sleepy time when you actually get tired. Another thing that we, you know, kind of just really experienced as kids where like you have to be in bed at eight, but you're not falling asleep. You're in there playing with GI Joes being (laughs) like, you could be doing something. So we wanted to kind of make a clear distinction between those, those three times. And so that leads to unlike most fantasy, we don't want to be picking on those like medieval fantasy games, but since we're in like-minded individuals, we're going to poke (laughs) some fun at them. It's not like you're waking up from a campfire in the morning and you're going to go slay some gnolls or something like every morning. You're pretty much, unless you're lying and saying you're sleeping over a friend's house, you're waking up in your house and you have to go out down into the kitchen and talk to your parents in the morning before you leave. And it's really fun just being like, Oh, what are you doing today? And then <laughs> player character be like, Oh, oh we're going to go and we're going to do this and do that. And try to like buy their way into like trying to kill those werewolf mailmen, you know? <laughs> yeah, and lying to stay out late is always a fun element too. And then sneaking back in if they need to, there's just so much. Yeah so many opportunities for um great storylines and all of that i think yeah it's uh one of my favorite parts is that whole like how can we all triangulate back at the clubhouse you know Uh, what are you telling your parents what am i going to do and there's always somebody that kind of gets just slightly off beat with everybody else and so they're they're stuck in some part of the town (laughs) yeah um Because it's not a video cast, I got to say, folks, as we're talking about some of these mechanics, uh, another thing that's just amazing about this game is uh, most of these, um, I don't know, I don't know if subsystems the right word, because it's not really a subsystem, but, but like the, the sugar meter and the, or the scarrow meter and the, the curfew, this is all represented like beautifully on the character sheet with like graphics that, you know, you put the numbers into and everything. Uh, it's really just yeah. cleverly done and, and drawn illustrations by Stacy Fevinger. Yeah. Thank you. I, I will tell her like, yeah, she's so talented <laughs> and we got really <laughs> lucky. And that, that took, uh, I posted on our Instagram a while back. You go, you can scroll down and check it where like the iterations began because it, it even had multiple iterations. And when we added one of these mechanics, how it was and how it was drawn and, uh, you get to see the different phases of how she ended up, you know, putting it all together beautifully. Yeah, so, my, yeah. My personal favorite's the, uh, the Felix the Cat clock there. for Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cat <laughs> clocks were huge in my house growing up. My <laughs> sister, Liz, if you're listening, uh, yeah, you know, you know that that was a wink at you. I mean, she, she had a cat clock in her room my entire life. That cat <laughs> clock. Man. So we, we, when we were picking clocks, that we knew that was going to be one. I oftentimes get uh, potential buyers come up to me and say, well, you know, I've played, you know, whatever, Kids on Bikes, Tales from the Loop, uh, or like you were saying, they'll say, oh, is this like Stranger Things? Where do you go from that kind of question or proposition? I mean, I can take this or you can, Ted. I I feel scrappiness is the number one thing that we kind of wanted to differentiate ourselves uh, with. Like love the, I mean, first off, those games are both really well made and really well designed. Mm. And I mean, especially Tales from the Loop is just like a gorgeous, you know, piece of art. Um, but when reading through those games, you know, because those were the ones when it was like, we're going to make a game like this. I don't know if any existed. Honestly, if we had seen or known about Dare Luck Club, it probably would have scared us a little bit more. 
uh, before pegging our game to market because I feel like we have a lot um, in the whole like uh, ethos or, of our games that that align that don't quite align with those. We, we kind of wanted it to feel more just down to earth and scrappy and like you're packing up your book bag and you're using slingshots and you're using fireworks and you're lying and cheating and stealing and <laughs> all of these like, you know, you can be a good kid or bad kid. That's kind of why we split our skill like mechanic stats into that when we're trying to be like, well, what are we actually wanting these kids to be able to do? They can either be doing things that are bad or good. Um. I mean, that's, that's kind of the main thing and, and wanted just some more lip service to things that felt really important and dangerous to us as kids, like fireworks and, <laughs> you know, sugar, like these were things that were like, well, no, this is like fun. This is what we want. Like, this is what being a kid was about. Like when yeah. are you going to pour your next candy bar? And like, what happens when that cherry, I don't know if either of you two, I don't even know if I talked about it with Ted, um, <laughs> if you had a fireworks like debacle when you were a kid, but like <laughs> add that, like we had, we played with fireworks and we had a really close call when we were kids. Got, and, gotta go uh, on a tangent here. My, my, my favorite memory is I had a friend over, we we're on the kitchen floor playing transformers and my older brother, he had his stash of uh, bottle rockets, you know, for, this is nowhere near 4th of July. This is like, you know, maybe January had a stash of fireworks. And he's like, well, you know what Optimus Prime should do? He should fire a rocket. And he was acting like he's going to light it off the stove and then yeah. accidentally lit it off the stove. <laughs> we got a firework flying around the house. And my dad, you know, oh, he's like man. a third shift guy. He's like waking up to this explosion. Oh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Ours was we took a lot of low grade, like they, I forget they were called. They weren't sparklers. Like they, I think they were called like cracklers or something, but it looked like a cherry bomb, but it didn't explode. Like you lit it and it crackled. And somehow we got our hands on a handful of them and we decided to take them apart and fill a Tic Tac <laughs> bottle with, with all of the contents. They were like these little magnesium balls or something inside. And we just filled an entire tic-tac bottle with it and then we stuck one of the wicks in the top of the tic-tac bottle and clipped it down and then drew straws to see who would play <laughs> it and Keith drew the straw you know shortest straw and he went up and i mean just like out of a movie man he lit that fuse and there was zero time to run like <laughs> he lit it and it, he was bent over and it exploded and we all screamed <laughs> a piece of the tic-tac bottle actually got lodged in that side, that piece of skin that's outside your eye on the side of your head that you can kind of pinch on your outside. <laughs> Just missed this dude's eye. And literally the first wow. thing he said was, don't tell my mom. We have to we have to lie and figure this out. And I mean that's just one of the top moments of my childhood. I'll never forget that moment <laughs> with playing with fireworks. So yeah and I I think a small thing but that that's part of the kind of setting and background of don't tell mom and dad, but an important one to how we're sort of defining it's, it's aesthetic and it's genre is that it's meant to take place over summer vacation, right? There's not supposed to be scenes in don't tell mom and dad that take place like at school. You're not like taking tests and arguing with <laughs> teachers and, and adults aren't really meant to be like players in your adventure they're npcs i mean there there may be you know we've had some some weird you know random adult npc characters that become pretty involved in the story and 
things like that. But it's it's about unsupervised kids on summer vacation, essentially, you know, in that in that kind of dangerous but really fun, you know, sort of way. And uh, and I think that's really the the flavor we set out to uh, capture. And I you know I think we for sure ended up doing pretty well. Hopefully, one of the things I was curious about is did you guys have an era in mind that you were kind of designing around as far as like technology and you know background to the whole world they're living in? I, I think the only thing that is like real firm is kind of pre cell phone, you know it can definitely exist on sort of a eighties to nineties spectrum. I would say I, I mean, I, I would even say it could go back as far as fifties or whatnot. There's nothing, there's no, yeah, real there's nothing to stop that. Out. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, we, we kind of left a lot up, like, you know, like I said, whenever we had the, the a question came up, we would maybe be like, that's just, let's just not even put anything in there for that. Let that go to the players and let them decide but there isn't too many boundaries that we put on that. I don't even know if we put pre-cell phone into the, into the book, like in any language. No. As I, said, I didn't was, pick up on it if you did. No, no, we, it's definitely not. It's just when we were designing, it, it was just kind of how our thought process was. Like, this is a thing where these kids need walkie talkies. They don't, they, they don't have cell phones not ringing each other. Their parents can't get a hold of them. You know, the unsupervised element is what's really important about it. And having to report back to them being a thing that actually meant you had to make it home in time to be able to do that or get to a payphone and spend a quarter on it. Oh, just I think I think some of the way that we date uh, that we date the era that it takes place is through the the locations that we sort of include as map tiles and the items that we include in the toy catalog. They're not, you know hyper dated to a specific decade or a specific time but they will sort of evoke the times and the eras and certain things you know there's you know an electronics store which essentially a radio shack you're not going to find them in many small towns you know anymore but they were a staple of you know growing up or even um, the arcade back then i mean that's... yeah and an arcade they're not you know outside of like you know shore towns they're harder to find, <laughs> come by these days for sure um so, yeah. I, I know earlier you said you didn't really want to kind of get into your, your future plans, but um, is, is there a book you've kicked around or a, a supplement or addition that you've kicked around there? Like, yeah, you know, someday when we build the brand big enough, we want to tackle something like this. Well, we have you a lot. Things you want to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we actually have a lot of irons in the fire right now. I don't want to give too away but uh we just got a badge from audrey uh of really really amazing uh paper minis that like you've seen in lots of lots of games before but i mean she is a paper kid, and man (laughs) she gave us some paper minis that are going to have removable and exchangeable pieces that these kids can hold that are in it that are so cool and we are in the works of our first monster manual that is a a bite-size we're not sure what the title is, but it's basically a bite-sized monster manual. It's going to be a smaller book of an entire manual, like manual of tiny monsters, <laughs> little creeps, imps, you know, gremlins, critters, all sorts of, you know, because uh, folks, you can dolls. do it all with this genre, everything from oh, fantasy yeah. to horror to whatever. Yeah. So it's like everything from tiny aliens to tiny creatures to tiny ghosts and just stuff that's basically pint-sized. Um, 
that's that's another thing and we're going to keep cranking out really cool modules that we're really happy with we have a bunch of that i think if there was a dream product that we're we're really trying to work towards um it was what we tried in our launch but it's a really hefty uh task and a lot to ask an artist but we'd like to have an actually fully illustrated isometric view version of all of the map tiles so as opposed to them just being labeled spots that we did a little bit of a uh, cool ted did do very cool graphic design with them but instead of it just saying arcade with a cool font and like something like you're actually looking down at an arcade at isometric view so when you make your town on your table it will look like the town like a map mm -hmm. of your town that, that's one of my big pipe dreams is to to get a nice now yeah It'd be cool to have it like you guys have it, where it's rearrangeable and you, you build your version of it. But in my mind, just to even have like a town, just a small Midwestern town yeah. laid out with a lot of space that's unlabeled for the game yeah. master character to say, oh, well, that's my house or that's the old, you know, uh, puzzle factory warehouse or whatever. Yeah. Um, that would just be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's the best puddle to play. <laughs> yeah. like, that's, that's just the great. The town is what really makes it. You know, in these other genres, towns can start to feel kind of worthless because you're just going from town to town. Mm -hmm. and you're like, where's the blacksmith? Where's the armory? Where's the, you know, evil master <laughs> that we need to kill or slay? Where Here's the tavern with the adjective yeah. monster name. <laughs> right. Like this is like, you know, we knew your kids aren't going from town to town. So this town changes and grows. I mean, we've had games happen where the arcade burns down and then that piece goes away and then some evil corporation moves a you know giant corp video store in that <laughs> no one likes because it's pushing out the mom and pop store and the town actually morphs as you're playing and that's something that ages with your characters and grows and you know you're going back to the convenience store and what was at first the the snot-nosed punk i talked about you now know is Devin. And you know that Devin really likes horror movies. And if you can score him a horror movie, he'll give you all free candy bars, like <laughs> things like that. So it's kind of, you know, it becomes its own character. Yeah. Which is really fun. All right. Well, I've jumped around a bit tonight. So uh, was there anything that I had said we might talk about that I didn't get to? I mean, geez, you, you had so much. I feel like we covered a lot. I mean, this is a really great time, man. I appreciate you coming on. I, you know, ever since I first saw your product, I'm like, you know, uh, if you can't beat them, you got to join them. And so I was like, if I could <laughs> hey, get these guys together, man, this would hey, be a hell of a time. We love to collaborate. We would love to collaborate with you. We could we could totally drop an adventure that can, you know, drop and play in both of our. That, both. that would be awesome. That would really yeah. be fun <laughs> to kind of just kick them both ways. And, you know, whatever yeah. person's playing, they got it. You know, that'd be fun. Just from our experience, like taking this out to people at live events and things, there is a ton of interest in in the genre that I, you know, I don't think even a couple of games, you know, aren't enough to meet the demand that's potentially out there. I think the challenge is just getting the game in front of, you know, getting these games in front of the people who are who are interested. But I can't tell you how many people we have, you know, when in person, they kind of give it a look and say like, kind of like monster squad and we're kind of like yeah you get the idea and they're like sold you know people, <laughs> yeah. people are hungry for it um yeah yeah know. and when that was happening 
in early. Sorry to interrupt you, Ted, but I just want to comment on something that you had said to me when we were developing this game and making it and playtesting it and like finally got it to market out there. And like we're getting this response from, you know, entry level players to actual experienced players. And it was like, man, people do like even if they give it a little bit of time like and and start playing this like they really become attached and i wonder like what that is and ted just looked at me and was like well dude everyone's been a kid yeah like, not right. everyone has been some crazy you know warlock <laughs> yeah. and they they may want to be able to pretend to be one and that's awesome but like everyone has that basis of what it was mm -hmm. like when they were a kid or what kid they wish they could have been when they were a kid and yeah. There's or what just, they wish they would have done to their bullies when they were a kid. Or, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, one thing that's, I'm, I'm glad uh, you brought that up, Ben, because I was, I, I had meant to say too, one of the things that's really funny, I mean, it's a great, I think the genre is just a great, like on-ramp for people who are interested in the hobby, but uh, maybe intimidated by like the big fantasy games or, you know, um, or are afraid of, you know, the giant rule books and stuff. And I think that the kids adventure genre can be a great way to get those people in. And in my experience, so I have an 11 year old son who I've played with and he has a ton of fun role-playing as another kid too, you know, it's a blast. I had a game, like a multi-generational game with some family members that had my, uh, my son all the way up to my grandmother who was 91 oh, wow. and she was like, played a, a rascal who uh whose hobby was throwing ro throwing rocks at the trains not by the <laughs> tracks it was a blast like just seeing what people choose to you know how people choose to lean into that like the opportunity to play as kids is is really fun yeah if you're a game master out there listening to this i, I guarantee you get one of these kind of games to your table just for a night just for your off night you know everyone's going to connect to this you know, it's going to be a good time. It's it's so such an easy in because we all have been kids. We all like understand this inherently. So. Yeah, totally, totally agree. <laughs> all right, well, guys, man, thank you so much for being on uh, again, folks. Uh, check the show notes uh, or just just go out there and uh, just do a Google search. Don't tell mom and dad. Um, excellent stuff, just amazing. You're gonna, if nothing else, it's a beautiful book. Uh, let alone the fact that, you know, uh, we talked about those other games. One of the things I, I do want to say about this is that it has what I consider to be more traditional role-playing rules. It's, it's less of the, oh, what's the way to put it, shared narrative as far as the rule mechanics go. And, and I really prefer that kind of game. Uh, to me, it's more comfortable for your, your beginning players anyhow. So um, yeah, go get it. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for thank you so much for having us. All right. This really fun. Well, this is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, this is just, this is really fun. I had a blast. Thank yeah. you. Um, so this has been a one shot episode of this old dungeon. Uh, we'll be back in about a week and a half with a regular episode. No, I did not kill Bill and Edwin and loot their bodies. <laughs> they are still out there. They uh, just a lot of scheduling conflicts, folks. So we'll be talking at you again soon. Until then, get on, get this product. This is awesome. And uh, we'll be uh, seeing you. You have been listening to this whole dungeon. 
a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! Happy gaming!